This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. It's always difficult for people to talk about the elephant in the room. No one wants to bring it up. No one wants to acknowledge it. But if the elephant in the room is race, it makes things even harder. Kai Edwards decided to take the challenge straight on and helped me have the type of conversation that we as a society tend to ignore because we don't know what to say or how to say it. Kai explained to me that, and I quote, if you do it with knowledge instead of emotion and you do it with respect, there is a lot you can say, end quote. Despite having every coaching license you can think of, plus head coaching and assistant coaching experience at youth and college level, and having multiple college degrees, Kai Edwards struggled to even get interviews for jobs that he felt he was more than qualified for. He has been wanting to talk about this for a while, and it's something that him and I have corresponded with over the course of years, actually, through text messages and other ways of communication. But it's not that easy, though. It's not that easy for him to talk about it. He told me, people don't like people who speak out, even if it's true. So his job search quietly continued. After an exhausting nationwide search, one that included being turned down for many jobs he did have the opportunity to interview for, and ignored by many others that never even returned the phone calls, he finally did land a new coaching job. He also decided it was time to talk about what life is like as a black soccer coach in America. What you are about to hear is an unscripted discussion between two people who acknowledge that there is a problem and decided to talk about it. Before we get into it, just a quick reminder that this podcast is supported and funded by the members of the 343 Coaching Education Program. It's a program that helps coaches better understand possession soccer and how to teach it. It radically changed the way that I coach my own teams and has helped thousands of other coaches implement a proven methodology in their own environments. You can learn more about the benefits of the membership program by visiting 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right. I hope that you enjoy this conversation that I recorded with Kai Edwards. Good morning, sir. Good morning. <laughs> Actually, uh, it's, it's afternoon for you now. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm 12 o'clock. I've been up for hours. <laughs> Re- Working on scheduling. Me. Yeah. Re- remind me where you're at. I'm in, uh, now I'm in West Bloomfield. Do you, do you know what famous soccer player was born and raised in West Bloomfield, oh, Michigan? God. I'm not good at this stuff. Uh, I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> Alexi Lawless. Oh, man. There we go. <laughs> born, born and raised in West Bloomfield. So it's like uh, we're 20 or so minutes outside of downtown Detroit. I'm really curious. Does he have like a statue in town or like a, a monument of some sort? <laughs> like, <laughs> They probably don't even know he exists. This is like one of those towns like on the side I'm on, West Bloomfield Township. Like we found a nice little nook, but 
I'm like 200 yards away from like a $10 million mansion on a lake. Wow. Nice. I mean, it's, it's, these are the true snowbirds. So like they're here in the summer and they all leave and go to Phoenix for the winter for five months. <laughs> right. And, and they can afford to do it because they probably own like some tech company or something that just makes money on its own. That's funny. Yeah. I've, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not familiar with that, with that area of the country. I've never, I've never been. So. Yeah, it's yeah, it's twenty thirty minutes from downtown Detroit, uh, near um, Palace of Auburn Hills, like where the Pistons used to play. Um, it's it's like the the best way to describe it. It's the next area, right? You know, so back in the day, everyone migrated to Detroit, right? Because it, it's near a, a water. It's a major city. So in like the fifties and whatever. And then it was gentrification, all that. So everyone starts branching outer. We are not the next ring out; we're the ring after that. So yeah. it's like the equivalent of being in like the valley, like Van Nuys and stuff like that. Like, you know, not the Hollywood group, but the next group past that. Where <laughs> after us, it's like middle of nowhere for you know three hours. Yeah, and that's where I am. I'm in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're like five more rings past that. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, Hey, it's, it's already recording. So cool. Uh, you said, you said uncensored, so I figured just record from the start. <laughs> yeah. Works for me. <laughs> Can all you right. hear me all right? Or is there yeah. any white noise behind it? No, you're all good, man. You're all good. Cool. Um, all right. We got a lot to talk about. <laughs> nice. <laughs> where, uh, where do we start, man? It's been it's been three years, I think, since I originally had you on my podcast, and and between that time and now, you've you've bounced around quite a bit, and and you've you, you went for uh, you went for a pretty wild ride, actually. Um, so I I don't know exactly where where you wanna where you wanna start. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, I mean, since the last time we talked, I was in Croatia, I think, or was going to Croatia something like that. Um, and I think I was at Arizona state and Serena soccer club at the time, you know, and since then went to university of Michigan, um, as an assistant for Greg Ryan, our former national team coach, um, had a solid year. And then, uh, for, for things that still have not been told to me, uh, Greg was let go. And then, you know, assistants go at heads at that level. And, so was looking for a job and, you know, national soccer club in, in Pontiac, Michigan, uh, was looking to create a position They're They're a club that used to be two clubs, Waza's soccer club and, uh, Novi Gators. And they combined their buddies from back in the day to become nationals, got the development Academy on the girls side. And so, you know, we're looking for a girls director and stuff like that, which they've never had. So, Joined them and, you know, just started full training this week, but helped them a bit in spring. And so right now that's where I'm at and with, with coaching that and then assistant coaching at Oakland university. Now the minutia of between those two times of, <laughs> of Arizona state, Serena, Michigan there is, is where the details lie. <laughs> yeah. So we need, we need to get into the, we need to get into the details and, and I, I mean, you and I both know that that we we've been communicating over the course of you know a year and a half or two years, um, text messages on on Twitter and and things like that. But 
this is the the first time that I've I've been able to convince you to actually come on the show in that yep. in that time and and I've been I've been hounding you for a while about hey man like we need to get on and talk about some of this stuff but it wasn't quite the right time um it, it wasn't quite the right situation for for you but now that you're kind of settled in you you reached you didn't even reach out to me. I don't know how this even happened. Just a couple of days ago, we just kind of just agreed on it and said, "Hey, like this is the right <laughs> time to do this." Um, yeah. You over the over the you know that time span, you had a very hard time getting interviews, getting you know getting in front of the right people to to get yourself in a position to acquire some of these jobs that you maybe wanted uh, at, at different times, and. I, I don't even know, Kai. Like I, I don't I don't know how to to introduce that topic. Like I, I it, it's just I don't know how to do it justice. You know. Yep. Uh, well, I, I mean, so I mean, it's a deep rooted <laughs> conversation. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, and and one of the main reasons, you know, I I, I chose not to talk much about it from from January to now was I, I wasn't employed, you know, and, and people don't like people who speak out, even if it's true, you know, so kind of protecting my livelihood and my wife's livelihood. Um, you know, I've stayed quiet, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's not like this is going to help me later in life either. Um, <laughs> but, it, but you know, it, it's, it's the truth and, you know, and it's my truth doesn't need to be everyone's truth, but you know, some of the challenges I've run into, is purely race, you know, and people won't want to hear it and won't acknowledge it um, because, um, you know, everyone has a, a person of color as a friend, so they don't see race and, and color. And to me, it actually insults me when people say, uh, I don't see color because I'm like, I, I, I am, a, I have a color. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, you know, do you not see the red stop sign? You know, now, I, I was a multicultural studies major, you know, so the, the, my whole degree was based on the sociology of uh, different cultures and races and everything, you know, and, and my final paper for my uh, degree was basically the difference between um, uh, generalization and racism. You know, for me to say uh, this person is black, this person can jump, this person can do that. That's not racist. That's just putting them in a general category. For me to say, um, because this person uh, cannot, uh, this person doesn't work hard because they are black, that's racist. You know, that's (laughs) the negative connotation to a general category. You know, so people, as they go through it, sometimes they don't even know what they're saying or what they're thinking. But I, I mean, the whole cold hard just fact, if you look at in Division One soccer, on the women's side this year, the number there's, there's going to be massive job turnovers in division one soccer for forever now, because they're getting more money. So the timelines are shorter, right? So if you look at it, I mean, my rough guess, just from what I've seen, maybe one or two people of color were hired as a head coach of the 40 some odd positions that were open, but it goes deeper than that. Right? So, well, it's hard to get the D1 head job if you can't get the D1 assistant job. <laughs> yep. And people like to hire what looks like them. Yep. So it's hard to get the D1 assistant job if the hiring committee <laughs> doesn't look like you. 
and it just trickles down. You know, there's, there's no coincidence that I was told no as an assistant and a head to D2s, D3s, losing programs, stuff like that, and a major program like Michigan is the one that says yes. Well, it's Greg Ryan, the same one who battled U.S. soccer. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the whole solo drama. Like, that's not a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise. The, the head bosses at, at National Soccer Club, one of them's an Indian guy. The head coach at Oakland is from Argentina. I mean, so it's not a surprise. When I got the head job at St. Mary's College, and I was one of the youngest Division One coaches, blessed to be there, it directly coincided. I got the, I got the job in 2009. Do you know what happened around 2009, John? Oh, don't ask me these trivia questions, man. <laughs> Obama became the president. Yeah, okay. And the AD at St. Mary's was half black. Like, this stuff isn't coincidence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so the challenge for us is breaking barriers, getting people in, and and doing well. You know, I've struggled in some of my positions. So I'm not mad when I don't get an opportunity at a highest level. But, like, when I get looked at sideways at one job this year, a, a 2-18, and 18, or t- sorry, 2-16 and 16 Division three program that interviewed me, passed on me, and took a second assistant who was a 22-year-old white male with no experience coming from a losing Division three program, those are the things that, that, that are going to irk you. You know, and people are going to be, oh, it's not race. I, I don't think it's outwardly race. I think it's inwardly comfortability. And do you think they, do you think that's like just like they're subconscious or do you think it's like the, that they're actively doing or hiring that way? Like, like they're, like they're pursuing that. I, I think it's subconscious. Uh, you know, people congregate around people that, have similar values or, or, or similar look to them. You know, that's, that's number one. And then number two, because of that, it's chicken and egg. Not a lot of people of color have a lot of experience. Therefore they're not even in that room. <laughs> they're not even getting to that door, you know? And, and like my boy, Sammy, cause it's battling, dialing. Now he's just got the assistant job at Boston college, which is awesome. You know, he should have got an opportunity like that five years ago. <laughs> yeah. you know and 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 you look at others that that have quit the sport because they can't go anywhere <laughs> within the sport because it takes someone that looks like them or thinks like them or a greg ryan who thinks outside the box and just wants what they think is the best for them to be in the room and if you're not in the room you have no chance yeah that's and that's something that you've consistently said to me you know in in text messages for a long time like like i just want to be able to get in the room that's it like if i'm able to get in the room then 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 everything changes so it's it's an interesting you know dynamic right and and when i interviewed justin reed you yep you and i corresponded quite a bit after that and and one of the big points that came up with with Justin's interview was that, um, and, and you've kind of hinted at it already too, is that, you know, the, the amount of athletic directors, 
impacts the the amount of head coaches, impacts the amount of uh, assistant coaches and second assistant coaches. And so it's it's not only, you know, getting in the room and getting an, an interview to be an assistant coach, but it starts at the top as well. I don't see. And, and so this is where I'm struggling, Kai. Like, I, I don't know the right way to talk about this stuff. Like I'm, and, and I don't want people straight on. Yeah. Like, like I want to talk about it, but I just don't, I don't know how. And, and I, I don't want people to think I'm, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know actually. Like I, I don't even know how to, how to ask certain questions. So. Yeah. And I think people's fear when talking about things like this is, you know, making someone feel bad or, or saying the wrong thing. So then it's a legit question. I don't know how to go about this. Well, the easiest way, and I was taught this by others, is is if you do it with knowledge base instead of emotion, and you do it with respect, then there's a lot of things you can say. It's when your emotion outweighs the knowledge is when people get the most offended. But if you can go back to uh, knowledge base and facts and uh, literature, and you know, then the, the debate is less. You know, so when you do that, like, like I said, was, at most two people of color were, were hired as head coaches this year out of over 40 jobs. There's no emotion in that. Yeah. <laughs> that, that that's just pure facts, you know, and, and usually the people who are offended by those are, are part of the problem because they are looking to be defensive on, no, that's not because of it, whatever, instead of actually looking, you know, and I was asked numerous times when jobs opened up, did you apply for that? Yeah. Did, how was your interview? I don't know. I never got a call once, you know, <laughs> you yeah. know, for, for, for positions, you know, I'm from Los Angeles. There was two jobs, division two and division one open in that region this year. Never got a single call. After putting in a quality application with, people like Jerry Smith, who's one of the most respected women soccer coaches in the world. You know, people uh, like Neil McGuire from Cal, Kadani, with people like that calling, still with no response, with people way less qualified getting positions. The, the way less qualified thing is an interesting topic to me too and and you you mentioned earlier that you interviewed I think you interviewed and then were you were passed over and the job was given to a 22 year old uh 22 year old guy and you had mentioned to me another another case where I think you were not interviewed for the position and the position was given to another young female assistant coach from another losing program uh, yep. and, and she was given a head coaching role, uh, at a, you know, a, a job that you wanted that, that would have been a yep. good fit for you. Um, yep. and, and that I re- I remember thinking at that point when you told me about her and I, I'm not going to throw her under the bus at all. I don't know anything about her. I won't say her name or anything. Um, but that, that's another issue. Like that's a whole separate issue. So you're, you're battling like on, on two different fronts. And I was talking about this earlier today, actually, when I got coffee was that, uh, there, there's an issue in American soccer, especially NCAA with, you know, very few female coaches that are, that are coaching in the game. And and especially when you look at the men, at the men's side, like they're, you know, it's, 
like what point zero 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 one percent are yeah. are women's coaches on the men's side, but even on the women's side of the game, it's still dominated by men. So not only when when you're applying for these women's soccer coaching jobs, not only are you battling a, a race battle, but you're also battling uh, a gender battle too, and and that's a very like it, it's just like how do we how do we tackle these topics as um, and I consider myself now a member of the media. Like, how do we properly uh, tackle these topics? And I don't know if that's something that that you thought of or that you were thinking of at the time. Like, hey, like I got passed over, but if I didn't get passed over, then that girl would have got passed over. And it's like, where, yep. where, where does it stop or where does it start? I don't know. Well, and and to be honest, like when the when the female gets hired in it, it actually doesn't bother me because they are trying to advance that section and they should like that doesn't bother me as much. It's the group that already has the head start <laughs> that, that is getting positions that, that perturbs you a couple of times. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like that, that's more the issue. And, and for me, you know, one of the reasons, or well, I have two reasons that uh, I started my master's one, my wife did it. So, I was at her graduation and, and I ended up applying for grad school during her graduation. Um, cause I figured if she did it, I might as well do it. Um, but then also it was one of those things I looked at, okay, are, are some of the athletic directors using it as a reason or excuse to not put me in that position? Well, let's take that out of the conversation. Right. So in, in two years, no one can say that's a reason. Yeah. Yeah, and so I, I think it's also making yourself, um, you know, as as hireable as possible. And you know, and I, I've asked people, you know, why not? And I've had one or two say something about a master. Okay, I'll go get one. You know, ten years ago, someone said something about more different experiences. So I went to Europe, you know, multiple times. You know, so stuff like that. You know, I've been passed over because I wasn't in the Power Five conferences before St. Mary's. So I was at Arizona State and Michigan. You know, so it's without being overly reactionary, it's still, okay, well, I'll just keep taking out <laughs> your ability to give a reason or an excuse until you had no choice. You know, and the easy thing is to just sit here and complain about it <laughs> um, and just say no. But I, I think the, the more challenging thing to do is, okay, I'll, I'll find out a way to do it. You know, so... So you can sit there and be like, all right, we, we said he didn't have a master's. He got one. We said he had no BCS experience. He got it. No head coaching experience. I already got that. You know, no experience with higher level players. Well, he's trained from the top. And then they're going to sit there and like, well, crap, we at least have to interview. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and then it's, oh, take my chances there. But, you know, so I think part of it is sometimes people of color will just say, well, I'm just not hired because I am one. <laughs> instead of doing something about it. So when I talk to people, I'm like, do something about it. Go volunteer for a year or two, go do something and take away their ability to challenge your ability to do the job. Well, and it seems, it, it seems like, uh, like it just never, it never ends though. Like, <laughs> like I, 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 like you, like you, you, you knock down one thing, like you knock down one wall and then, and then they've built another one and, and, and going through that process is, uh, it can be, it can be just draining, just mentally, just defeating. So I don't, I don't know how, how somebody can keep going when, when it comes to that. Like that's, that's, 
it's remarkable, but also disappointing. Well, and, and there's, there's one way to do it is you look at the past, right? That's the plight of the minority is, you know, well, they challenged us. We couldn't do this. We couldn't play quarterback. Now there's a bunch of us. We couldn't, you know, be CEOs. Now we're owning businesses. And, you know, well, they took this way. I found a different way to do it. You know, so that's the plight of the minority, especially in America, right? So uh, it's one of those, you, you look at paths, you look at people who've done it, you know, Kadani it became the flagship. <laughs> you know, he's, he's the black coach. He got a high level, high performing job, earned it. You know, he worked his way up and then won a national championship. Mm-hmm. I would not have been shocked if a couple people got jobs within six months of that. <laughs> you know, because it's like anything. I, I don't like short goalkeepers. Now, now you go watch someone win a championship with a short goalkeeper. Next, you know, someone's like, you know what? I can win with a five foot three goalkeeper. I mean, that's just, that's how it works. You know, so someone always has to break the barrier first, right? Someone has to be, do what's uncommon and fight through challenges that, that other people, those challenges have defeated, you know, and then everyone needs to, to sputter or, or hold on to that and follow that model and sometimes it's unfair it, it's unfair to a Kadani you know that that he he holds the hopes and dreams of a zillion people in his hands yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. but you also don't get to that without understanding and respecting that like I think of myself as you know a small town not town small time guy and I remember when I've gotten positions I've had people come up to me and go thanks you know it makes me believe I can do it and I'm like what you know, like, I don't think of it that way. You know, I, I look at the Kidani's, you know, and like, I got the job at Michigan and the number of emails, I was like, I don't even know who you are. You know, and I had a high school coach from Florida, whatever, you know, email me and say, like, this is the greatest story. Like, I, I looked you up, like, you keep getting knocked down and you keep finding a way back in. You know, it, it makes me want to do more. And you're just like, Jesus. <laughs> you know, like, like, like I didn't sign up for it, but that's, you've earned it. You know, there's very few development academy directors that are color. Very few. And now I'm one of them, especially on the girl side. You know, yeah. so someone yeah. is sitting there, even if it's in this local area at a small club, like, oh, how do, how do I get there? You know? Well, I looked at his path. Well, I don't want to go that way because that took too long, you know, but can, can I, can I go a shorter route, you know, and, and do it? Because if, I, if people don't see things done, they're very hard to do. That's why it's so important. Those first couple people keep battling, you know, and, and you kind of look at it like a flock of geese flying and one gets shot and then someone flies to the front and then, and they keep going four more get shot four more flyer front and they keep going until someone makes it, you know what I mean? And then when someone makes it, it's like, Oh, we can all make it, you know? And, and, you know, poor analogy, but like, if someone doesn't keep going, then you're screwed. If Warren moon, who, who's like the NFL leader in interceptions doesn't keep trying to play quarterback. We never had Michael Vick. Michael Vick doesn't get knocked down, have a, have a criminal mistake, go to jail, which a lot of people have done, make it back restore his career and become an NFL quarterback. We don't have Cam Newton who made the same mistake. We don't have Jameis Winston. We don't have all these other guys 
who have made mistakes. And in the past, that person who's made the mistake and never made it back. Now they've seen someone do it. <laughs> now they're like, okay, it is possible. You know, and, and that's why people are like, oh, well, this person made it. Well, Michael Vick did, and he came back as a good, a pretty good human. Maybe this person can do it. But before Michael Vick, a black person went to jail or whatever, never had another chance. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it, it's, and if you bring it back into like American soccer just in general, like an American soccer player playing abroad, right, has the entire mm-hmm. weight of of that responsibility on their shoulders and if they if they do good everybody's behind him and if they fail well then it's like all right well now no american player can ever do that again or especially when it, when it comes to an american coach and i think uh, oh bob bradley wasn't in a huddersfield oh yeah yeah well true yeah <laughs> true the there. world on his shoulders <laughs> yeah true true everybody forgets about that guy i i frequently forget about him too um but i yeah. I, I, w- I was thinking about bob bradley when he had swansea and it's like you know everybody's eyes were on bob bradley and then you know massive failure and and you know bounced after what 10 games or something like that and yeah and then everybody's like oh yep well that's you know that's american coaches right there like nobody's going to be able to do better than that and yeah that's uh, what it was. i mean look I mean, let let a Latino center back lead a team to an MLS championship, and there'll be five more Latino center backs in the league the next year. People will be in Argentina, Mexico, looking for the next this you know this guy and this guy, right? But it, so, that, but that's the challenge. How do you get to that point? And you need people in those positions to give people a chance, and not underqualified people. People that, that they can put their name on that are on the right track to get there, you know, and, and there's some people that do that, you know, some people are known for it. Um, but most people, cause their livelihoods on the line, they're not going to step out and take the chance. I mean, I'll, I'll say it. If you look at the women's national team staff, there's a single makeup of all the youth national team head coaches. <laughs> yep. Like, like who, who the as a person of color even thinks they have a chance to be a youth national team staff or head coach? <laughs> like, I I was on a course of it at times, right? When I was, uh, you know, years, but but I never thought I could ever make it. I look up, I'm like, why? There's none of the, I'm going to be the first. <laughs> You know, like, and at some point I gave up on that dream because I was like, there's, I, there's no way it's going to happen. <laughs> so I'm not even going to try anymore. Yeah. And people think that's lazy and dumb and whatever. I'm like, all right, everyone who says that, you're probably not even in that position to say it. Like, could you imagine? I mean, it's the pro, pro rel debate a little bit, but could you imagine being in a position where, the, the society and the culture is it'd be easier if they directly told you <laughs> yeah. then you wouldn't even waste your time but when the society and culture shows by their past history that you have a sliver of a chance to get somewhere where someone else can do half of what you do and have a 50% better chance of getting there <laughs> yeah. that's work well, you you make you make an interesting point, and and not necessarily you know to to steer this up into the promotion relegation thing, but you know there outside of that, there's there's really no way to 
to work yourself or earn yourself to the top other than being, you know, somebody has to be selected at this point, you know, like, like that's how you get promoted in, in American soccer is you're, you're selected, whether that's, you know, becoming a franchise in major league soccer, you know, you have to be selected by, by that group of people to, to become part of that club. Right. Um, yeah. To to move up and down divisions in NCAA, you have to be selected to to you know have your program in Division One or Division Two, right? Um, there there's no there's no way to like prove yourself uh, at really any level outside of club soccer, I guess. But even still, like you have to be selected to be in ECNL, you have to be selected to be in the, in the development academy. So there's no like real like earning your way up and down. Uh, like a like a pyramid or or through through the ranks in American soccer, which is very very, um, uh, it's a very very big problem that I, like again like it's it, where where do you start with that? But if you if you start to really dissect and and look at that, it's like you see how much of an impact that has across the entire American soccer landscape. Like like just that one. Just that one thing alone, that one topic alone of, you know, just give people the opportunity to earn themselves into the next position or the next the next place. That that changes so much, man. It changes so much. So instead well, of go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Well, and, and I've been blessed. You know, I don't want to make this sound like the angry black man either. You know, I, I've been blessed. I've you know, I've been in the DA, I've been in the ECNL as a director in both. I've coached a BCS school. I've coached in mid-majors, like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm leading a charge, right? You know, but I've also sat there as a coach, coached a club team with five national team players on it, three, seven teams, and one who was a U16 who went to the U20 World Cup. <laughs> like, think about how many players that skipped, you know, yeah. to be a 16-year-old at the U20 World Cup. Um did I ever get a single phone call from a national team staff coach? Hey, you know, obviously, and there's people before me that helped build those kids by far. But, you know, for those year or two, I was, I was in charge of those kids, you know, um, and all those kids minus one made the national team before me and never once like, Oh, what are you doing with those kids? Like, what are you doing to help them keep going? Whatever. Not anything, but, a, but a club, you know, 30 minutes down the road, their coach was the assistant coach on the national team staff with, with no national team players. <laughs> wow. You know, so I'm like, so you entrust me to coach a kid that you're fast-tracking from 16 to 20, but I can't be invited to come watch a practice? Anything? You know, and, and, and it's not even just about me. There's numerous of those. You look at the guys down at Top Hat and Concord who has no surprise people of color as directors and most of their staff are people of color. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's no surprise. Those Concord and Top Hat produce national team players, hands over fist. None, none of them are anywhere near our national staff. You look at Real Colorado. He's one of the best ever, you know, director of Real Colorado built a mega club. Two of his kids are starting on the U twenties right now. You know, or, or what is it? Yeah. U twenties is probably U 18 kids. Um, Mallory Puge and a Becky, I mean, name the kids he's had. He's not on, he's not on a national. And maybe he said, no, who knows? But if he said, no, I'd send him and f or five other people into his house to make sure he says, yes. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, but they won't do that. And then because there's no incentive for them. Yep. You know, and, and I had, so I wrote a letter in December to the development Academy questioning and challenging them saying, you have all these scouts at this development Academy event, a bunch of scouts, which is awesome. There's 60 something, whatever I said, I, in my rough view, I was here for five days and I probably saw four people of color. You know, so, and, and it's your lowest entry position, you know, a, a scout on the day, basically. I was like, and I'm not asking for our underqualified. I'm just saying, if you have a scout who is underqualified or low qualified, who is white, and you have a scout of color who is highly qualified, can we once in a while take the person of color and give them a chance? Because then when they do well scouting, they become staff coaches. When they become staff coaches and do well, they become assistants. When they do well as assistants, they become heads. But if we can't get in even at the scouting, <laughs> how are we ever going to get in the, in the final door? It's not going to happen. And I got a, first, I didn't get a letter back, so I wrote a second letter. Then I was sent to human resources in U.S. soccer. None of the DA people responded because they weren't comfortable with it. And I had a four-hour conversation with, the, with the, one of the re- head resource people at U.S. soccer. And she said, I, I see, I see there's a problem. I, I hear you. I go, I'll even give you a list. Black people are harder on black people than white people will ever will be. <laughs> so if I'm going to put my name on it, it's going to be the overqualified. <laughs> I'm not putting my name and giving anyone a random chance because I know if this person messes up, we're screwed. So I gave them some, I asked, what is the criteria? And I gave it to them. Any license, either college or club, have coached national team players, blah, 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 blah. I gave them phone number, email, license, everything, because they asked for it. None of the, I asked those people. They never got contacted once. Wow. So I'm like, what do you want me to do? Like, how do we and, – and one person in U.S. soccer, one of the coaching staff people, told me, well, we don't see color. And I said, that's the problem. We do. <laughs> yeah. And then someone in the staff said, and I'll never forget this, said – well, you know, at our last U15 national team camp, I was really excited because we we had a lot of people of color on on the field, and, and we think that's progressive. I go, we've never had a problem being linebackers and running backs. Our, our issue is because you give me a chance to be the coach. <laughs> yeah, and 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 quiet the person real quick because they saw I had a response and was like, oh, well, I mean. We're giving him a chance. Like, are you? But we don't see color. Oh, uh, guess what people of color see? <laughs> we do. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, I think that is just. Um, man, I'm hesitant to use this word, but just ignorance, and yeah. and and also and also arrogance. I think that there's like this this feeling of of we're you know, we're national team staff and we know exactly what this country needs. And, and there's just, just this massive arrogance when it comes to, to the U S soccer scouts, scouts, especially seem to be like, like the most arrogant. And, and you mentioned it too, like that's the entry level position. Like a lot of those people are not part of the national team staff by any means, but they, you know, they get contracted and they get sent like a Nike U S shirt and they get to go wear it at these little, <laughs> these little parades that, uh, you know, the Academy showcases and, and whatever. It's like their scout for the day, I think is what you said. 
And, yep. and those people seem to be the most arrogant. Like I, I've tried to just like say hello to some of those people when I'm at StubHub or or down in San Diego at the showcases or whatever. And those people don't even give you the time of day. They walk past the the um you know where the fans sit into yeah. and, to go sit into their like little uh, section where they have it like partitioned off where it's like only U.S. soccer or only scouts can can be in this area. And they just sit there with their buddies. And they and and they just BS with each other, and it's like they, I don't know, dude, just, just arrogance. And so when you when you tell me that, you know, this they don't even reach out to you when when you have five players or four players in the in the national team program, and they don't even ask you like, hey, like, what are the tendencies of this player, like, you know, or uh, how how do you how do you handle you know, this player on a, in a mental aspect or, or things like that. Like if they're not interested in those types of things or conversations with the coaches of the, of the players that are with them year round, like that's just arrogance to me. Like thinking that they just know it all. Well, and, and you look at it, I, I have our U 17 and one of our kids is in camp right now at, at StubHub and in fairness, the current coach reached out, but I've known him for 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and coach against him in college and he reached out though but fair enough right it starts somewhere and i don't want this to all seem like white versus black and big generalizations you know because this can be heard from anyone in the world and different levels like I, i'm not thinking that, the only reason we're using generality is because i'll get in a lot more trouble if i just use the actual names of people <laughs> um, you know um, so uh, like i don't mean to you know put big brushes across everything but it's it, I'm going to need a job at some point. So, um, But if I go back to your arrogance or ignorance, I actually think it's both, but I think it's less arrogance and more ignorance. You know, and, and this is why I, I go back to this video. I saw it on Facebook months ago, right? It was like a two minute video and they lined up, you know, 200 kids across the line. And the guy stood there and said, all right, um, if you showed up here or we're going to run a hundred yard race or whatever. If you showed up here in a car, take a step forward. Cool. If you had $10 in your pocket, take a step forward. If your parents graduated from college, take a step forward. Whatever. You know, you get the point. He did 15 of those things. And he said, all right, you guys ready? And he says, this is privilege. It's not a bad thing, but you also have to understand it. And, you know, there was 10 people still on the line. There is, you know, there's one guy who's, you know, way ahead of everybody. He's like, so if we start this race, who's going to get to that line first? So you just have to respect and understand sometimes you are given some things and it's called privilege and that's okay. Privilege is fine. It's when you disrespect privilege, that's a, it's an issue, right? Like I, I don't mind anyone getting a hookup. Like that's life. It's when you're disrespectful about your hookup, it, it, you know, either to people or to your profession that, that it's an issue. So that's where I think it's more just ignorance more than anything where they think a person of color and, and someone who's not are on equal playing fields for these opportunities. That's where I think they're just ignorant. And you're like, no, like this person got a job easy. And people are going to look at me going, dude, you coached in Michigan, you're DA, you used to be the head of the region for all this stuff like that. Yeah. I'm not just talking about me. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, I know I, I am privileged to get some of the opportunities I've gotten. Like, trust me, I don't look at gift horse in the mouth, you know, but other people are sitting there like, you think this person and this person interviewing for a job or being looked at, if you think they are an evil, even playing field, you're blind. 
because and you're 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 ignorant about it because in in America it ain't even and and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, but it's when it's disrespected, like you get a hookup, you become this, and then you don't keep doing something with your hookup. My thing is always told people: if you get a hookup, that's you've earned it by being friends or whatever. But if you don't do whatever it takes to keep that hookup, to keep educating yourself, to challenge yourself, whatever, then you're disrespecting it. And that's where I have an issue with it. You know, and, and that's where I think the people who are in hiring positions have a privilege. I'm in a hiring position. I have a privilege. You know, I have to look if two people apply for a position at our club. First, I look, are they in the same spot, which no one ever is. Is this person maybe lesser uh, experience or whatever because, you know, they lived in a rural area and just didn't have that opportunity? Is there a way I can set them on the course of it? Or, you know, or someone would look at me where it's like, oh, you're going to get the position because you've been the Michigan Cove, because you've gotten the – like, I'm also in a small percentile <laughs> of people. And I'm great. I was, I was the, the exception to the rule. I was an very average soccer player. So think about being a division two, very average black soccer player <laughs> who was fast with no skill to becoming a women's soccer coach who teaches technical soccer at a high level. Like that's a journey. I was not a starting Pac-12 guy who played, you know, in the MLS for two years. <laughs> If I had did that, I'd be where I am 15 years ago. <laughs> I would have got here. <laughs> you know, so, but I don't think people understand the plight of so many people. It's not, it's not that they need things given to them and, and they shouldn't even want it. But you, people have to understand, we, we all don't start with our foot on the front line and some willing what's on telling us all to go at the same time. And that's okay, but we do such a respect. Uh, it's not that way, and and not in a racially de- uh, divisive way, but more in a way of how do I bridge these gaps? You know, I've been on one or two staffs. Like I look at our staff in Oakland right now: Juan Pablo from Argentina, Brian Diaz, who who looks like has I mean, Puerto Rican roots. Uh, his wife is on the staff, a, a, a white female. Um, an ex-player, uh, another female, another guy. I mean, we, we check a lot of boxes. <laughs> and, and you think of it as a player, those players, they can all identify with someone. We have Spanish players on our team, like from Spain. We have Canadians. We have everything. So when the Spanish players don't understand, they can ask Juan Paul to translate in Spanish. <laughs> when the one or two people, you know, a, a the black players are like, oh, you know what I'm talking about? They can look at me. <laughs> and the comfortability with those kids allows them to be more comfortable around everybody else. So it's not in a decisive, you know, divisive way. It's actually more so they can feel comfortable to be around everybody else. And now you look at it, it's a melting pot. We all talk about melting pots and uh, the, the world's the best and America, we're all a melting pot. And then we look up and we're like, it's a great looking melting pot. <laughs> like, <laughs> It just looks like it just looks like Swiss cheese in that melting pot. 
where's the Gouda? Where's the cheddar? Where's the, you know, you know what I mean? And because uh, most of the fight, especially on the girls' side right now, which it should be, is is there enough females in the sport? We we say we can't fight two fights. <laughs> well, we're fighting to get more females, so we can't fight that and people of color. <laughs> like the, that's that's too many things, you know, to, to talk about. And you're like, no, you know, it's really not, you know. So I I think when people, you know, I retweet whenever someone posts a picture. Oh, you know, I just got my you know B license. Here here's our group, and you know, I just retweet it, and people know. Yeah. <laughs> just look <laughs> yeah you know, we, we all don't start in the same rat race <laughs> yep. well oh those guys should have done it well they can't get in why can't they get in they're not coaching at a high enough level well they should try to get to higher high enough level. well they can't <laughs> like they can't get in the door without starting their own u.s club soccer club down the street <laughs> yep. yep yeah the 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 photos of like the mls guys that did the yeah. pro license the no the, like, like those are those are the funniest <laughs> ones man <laughs> Yeah, and, and you're you're just looking at it like why why even apply? Like <laughs> how am I ever gonna get there? You know, and and you know, no one's so this is where I respect US soccer. So in the development academy on the women's side, they hired an all female staff pretty much as the director. I respect that. That's awesome. And and most are very highly qualified for their position. That's great. Well, that group ended up hiring technical advisors that were all female, which is great. But it also proves the point. If the people who hired in the DA were all male, then eight to 10 technical advisors would probably be more males than female. Then you look at the technical advisors and in my rough look, one of them is a person of color. She also pretty much has the most scouts of people of color come from her region. Is that surprising? <laughs> if, if, if you had two Latinos, you know, two European accents of whatever, a couple, you know, black, Indian, whatever, and they could all still be female. The makeup of the scouts in those regions would change quickly. And you would be pulling from more regions, gathering more information for the goal of being better. That's, uh, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking and, and about like the number of times I've been to StubHub and the number of times I've been to, you know, U.S. soccer uh, youth camps and, and showcases and academy playoffs and things like that. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to rack my brain right now if I've ever seen on the boys side, uh, a black scout. And I, I can't, I can't remember one. I, I'm sure that they exist. Right. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, I can't remember ever seeing one at StubHub. The guys that I, I, I remember seeing, you know, when I go down and I watch DA games or when I go down and I watch Academy playoffs, it's just a bunch of white guys. And I say this as a white yeah. guy. And so this is where I get like kind of hung up. Right. And I want to go back to the, to the photo, like the MLS, um, MLS pro license photo. When I first saw yep. that, like I, I don't, I, I obviously see, you know, that it's a group of, of just white guys, but I see it from a different standpoint too. It's like, okay, well that's an even smaller circle of, of just white guys that have, uh, 
MLS playing experience or like different, like a different circle that, that a white guy has to crack too. So like, I'm thinking about it, oh, about yeah. it from, from, from that aspect, like, all right, well, I check one of the boxes, but there's a, you know, there's a long list of other stuff that I don't check. That's going to prevent me from ever being part of that group that is in that picture. And so it's like, okay, well, if I didn't even have that other box to check and somebody else is behind me, kind of going back to the, the video you mentioned of, you know, starting the race at different points. Um, yep. like, you know, I, I maybe had like three or four steps ahead of other people, but those guys are, you know, 50 yards ahead of everybody else. And I don't think, yeah. <laughs> and again, and this goes back to what you said too, and like the ignorance part of it, I don't think that those guys realize it or maybe they do, but my, my feeling is that those guys don't realize how much of a head start that they have. So, well, and, and I think one of the best ways to evaluate if someone realizes if they respect their position or not is what they give back so if they're if they're you know they've earned it in some way even playing the mls right they've earned it in some way to get in that room i'm okay with stuff like that to be honest it's what then are they doing right did those nine people go back and find three people in their community in their club whatever and say this is how you get to where i just was and and with my education of being there already, I'm going to help you. You know, go take this license. I'll help you get in. Go, go to this MLS DA club and go watch them train for a week. The club's got you covered. You know, whatever. Like, I'm going to put you on the path to get here. Those are the people I think respect that they got the privilege. The ones that just leave the room, <laughs> the respect of that is I, I got it, but what did I do with it? You know, you, you look at, you look at LeBron James privilege. He's earned it, but a lot of privilege. What does he do with his privilege? He went back and built a school. So people in his community have a tool, not the tool, a tool to educate themselves, to open up more doors. And, and people think giving back has to be financial. Like I honestly, I'm obviously standing on a tightrope even on this conversation, if some people hear it are taken in the wrong, wrong way, you know, but I also think of this as my giving back. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I don't have I the financial means to give back I, my financial means. I give back to my old college, Sonoma state and my old high school, Rolling Hills prep. The only two places I usually give any money and that's usually like $25. Right. So I can only give back with, experience and speaking up like my goal is someone listens to this and go i've been thinking that now what do i do yeah like you know i don't want some 21 year old to stand up there and be like yeah i'm gonna say the same thing i'm like uh, you might not want to you might <laughs> <laughs> like I'll, I'll say it for you because i'm thick enough skin to be turned down by people or whatever but just so you know someone else is thinking it and but what are you gonna do about it? It means nothing if you're just thinking. That's just being combative and annoying. <laughs> you know, the, to be edu- like it's the old saying: the most dangerous person is an educated black man. You get someone motivated with a little bit of anger and an education. Uh, <laughs> you get you get Malcolm X. You get Martin Luther King. You get Obama. You get people like that. When you put education with a little anger and motivation, 
those people are unstoppable. There's, there's too many things driving them. There, there's no privilege or barrier that's going to get in their way because they are checking the boxes that are going to help you stay out of it. And if you stay in their way, they're so driven, motivated, they're going to run through it. If they can't run through it, and educate themselves well enough to go around the wall. They educate themselves well enough to put someone next to the wall, use them as a catapult and jump off them. The problem is the ones who don't educate themselves and just be motivated, they just keep running face first on the wall and saying, there's a barrier and I can't get through. Yeah. And that's why it's important that leaders in those communities are the ones who are like, all right, just stand back from the wall. Let me see if I can run through it. I can't run through it. Let me see if I can run around it. Camera. All right, you four stand here. I'm going to stand on your back. I'm going to get over it. And when I get over, I'm going to find out what's there. Put a ladder back on the other side of the wall to help you back over. <laughs> <laughs> Good analogies, man. <laughs> now, you, now, now you got me all fired up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's probably it's probably a good thing we didn't do this at like eight PM, huh? You would have been Yeah. Then I then I would have had to start my own club on my own. Right. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I wanna make sure that I say too, and, and you and you've done a good job of saying it throughout throughout the interview, um that you know, there are plenty of good examples, right? Like there there are plenty of people that are doing the right thing or doing good work or um, you know, actively uh trying to help and 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 be part of the solution and and people that recognize that there that there are problems and and maybe maybe that's even just you know their contribution is they recognize that there is a problem and just and just you know being aware of that is is you know a good start um so yeah, I, I, I don't I, I don't want people to to listen to this and think that we're and you, you've mentioned this multiple times too that just painting with like the super broad brush and and, and saying, you know, this, this is, you know, a problem everywhere with everybody in American soccer. It's like, no, that's not the case, but there, there are good examples and there are plenty of bad examples. And so it, right now I, I, I think, yeah, if, if, if people listen to this and, and hear us talking, you know, maybe, maybe this, you know, sparks a conversation between them and, and somebody else, uh, you know, on a one-to-one basis or, or just kind of, you know, there's one takeaway from this. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but I'll, let, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I was a little bit and still am, uh, <laughs> intimidated and, and uncomfortable having the conversation. And, and I'm, yep. I'm, I'm just happy that, that, that I was able to, to talk to you for, for a second time and, and get some of this stuff out there. Um, I, I always ask people now, uh, to, to end the interviews. The last question I always ask is what do people need to know? And you've been, you've been dropping that like the entire interview. So I'd be curious to, to hear you answer that now that we've talked for almost an hour. Like what else do people need to know? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing people need to know is most people are not inherently trying to do bad or wrong or injustice. Most people. And a lot of it sometimes just needs to be eyes open and not rebutting to people with your own problems. Like I can already see someone's going to be like, yeah, but uh, as a, a white male that you know coaches high school in the in the south in the in the cities, I have no chance of it. 
I can't speak to that. I'm not a white male. <laughs> so, so I, I also can't, you know, cover everything. I can cover what I've lived through, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, so I, I think that's important, but I also think it's important that people educate themselves. And I, I mean, my mom didn't finish college. She went to the university of Tennessee and, and didn't finish. Um, and she had a racial issue at Tennessee. Uh, she came, she, um, she came into her dorm at University of Tennessee. There's a white woman in there. My mom put her stuff down. The white woman packed her stuff up with her mom and left her dorm. And I asked my mom, I'm like, what did, what did you do? And my mom said, I pushed the beds together. <laughs> I was like, uh, you know, and, and, and that's what I learned. Well, let them be them. Just be smarter. And that's from someone who didn't graduate. You know, my dad graduated from gymological college. He, he was a, a jeweler at Broadway and then Macy's. And now they're both retired in Tennessee. And they always said things like there's not a person of color. I'm not speaking to, to white and I'm not saying your life's easy or hard or not. Like only speaking to the people I know. <laughs> there's not a person of color that did not struggle or know someone who struggled a lot through something bad, you know, like something awful. So it's going to happen. It sucks that it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And the most successful people in those situations are the ones that armed their mind. The ones who got smarter. I was a dumb, loud, um, <laughs> brash black male in my 20s. And it probably hurt me in a lot of positions. Now, I'm still an emotional one. I'm a lot more calculated and a heck of a lot more educated on real life and book. You know, I have my bachelor's degree. I'm two classes into my master's. My master's is, I had to write it down because it's a long title. Master's of Science in Recreation and Sports Science at Ohio University. <laughs> you know, like arming myself with the ability to sit in a room with the head of U.S. soccer, arming myself with the ability to sit in a room with the six-year-old and talk anything, to sit on an interview about race and, and cultural bias and challenges without sticking my foot in my mouth too bad. If, if we would have done this interview five years ago, oh, my wife wouldn't have let me do it. <laughs> like, she, she, she would have stopped me 20 minutes ago and been like, like now we got to move country. And, and for the record, my wife is white. <laughs> so we have our own challenges walking around in, in cities, uh, you know, that don't like mixed races. And, and it's a challenge. What do we do? We educate ourselves. We arm ourselves, not, not physically, but mentally. I am, my head's always on a swivel when we're out in public because that's what I've learned to do. I'm a second degree black belt. I'm always prepared to protect my wife and family. I haven't had to, but nothing's ever going to surprise me because I, I educate myself on situations. So I always want to let people know motivation and drive are the precursor. Education is what gets the follow through, which completes the task. A lot of people have motivation and drive. Education is what's going to help you knock down barriers and the education, you know, that you can't get into motivate yourself and drive yourself to find a way. I, I listen to Eric Thomas, the motivation speaker all the time. And one of his best ever 
moments is when he's at Michigan State giving a talk, and he's he, he's he's talking about you know if you put your phone down, you'd be smart, smarter. You know, you say you you know you're not good at math, do more math. You're not good in English, read more. You know, you, you say you know you want to meet with the with the teacher after class, and the teacher says, oh, I can't meet with you. Uh, meet with the TA. And you look at him and say, no, I don't want to meet with the TA. I want to meet with the teacher. And you show up at four o'clock the next day. Well, the teacher's not there. You let him know what time you're going to be here tomorrow. Six, I'll be here. And you just keep kicking down doors. That's the motivation part. And then the education part is sometimes you have to kick down the educational doors to be able to be educated so that you can keep progressing and bring people with you. But motivation without education, what I have learned is I've made the mistake gets people not to listen to you. When you speak emotional facts, sometimes they're undebatable. And when they do debate, you can challenge them with fact-based literature and fact-based knowledge or fact-based experience that is undebatable or at least at worst, I don't need to win the debate. I just need you to think. And if you get one more person to think, one more person to open their mind, one more person to challenge themselves, you're, you're doing your life job. <laughs> you know, so I, I'm education, 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 formal and informal education and, and kick barriers down. Yeah, I, I, had, I had totally forgotten one of the, the parts of our first interview where you talked about how you were, how you were a uh, second degree black belt. Uh, when you when you said that a second ago, I was like, "Oh shit!" Like I, I remember that now. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I was on the national team for four years. The highest level I've ever competed in any sport was taekwondo. That's was, right. You know, I was an alternate for Olympics. You know, I was a runner-up for for national championships. You know, won the U.S. Open. I mean, that was the highest level. You know, because it's a lot more merit-based. You either won the fight or you did it. Yeah. You know, um, and, and I built myself up to a second degree black belt, retired when I was 27. But I look at myself and I'm like, okay, I, I go back to some of those things a lot. I'm, I'm glad my mom put me in that and basketball and baseball. All, all those things were education. Like I, I, my classes were taught in Korean because I had a Korean, the ex uh, Korean national team coach. So I learned a lot of Korean back then. Can't speak it now, but it educated me on cultures and being around cultures and respecting Asian culture that I wouldn't have learned if I didn't take Taekwondo. I, I would have learned it, but in a different way. I learned it. It's ingrained in me, you know? So, but that's just another form of, it's formal, but informal in the way I utilize it in my life now. So, you know, sometimes you branch out. You, you, you read both like good to great. It has nothing to do with soccer. <laughs> you know, but but it teaches you so many different things. So the more you can arm yourself in in different realms and and methodologies and educational ways, formal and informal, like it, it goes back to a motivated, driven, educated person is a hard person to keep down. And and I think that's also a reason where I my contract wasn't renewed at St. Mary's. I got another job. I I have had uh, one month. And I'm 37. I've had one month since I was 19 that I was not paid by a soccer club or a university. And I, and I've changed jobs seven times. <laughs> so, 
and and that doesn't come from <laughs> luck. You know, I've had no gaps. I lost my job at St. Mary's. They had to pay me because it was without cause. And I got an overlapping pay when I started my next job. Because I went out and was driven, educated on where to go, and went after it. Lost my job in Michigan. I was working at National Soccer Club and Oakland in the next month and a half while Michigan was still paying me. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's a little bit of driven got me there, but being educated on how to get there, calling the right people, and just keep going. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, that was uh, <laughs> that was uh, probably the best answer to the uh, to what do people need to know question that I've that I've been asking people. So you uh, you win you win that award. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Starts the day off right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, I I still. I still want to get you back on the podcast for another episode to talk about your actual experiences in, in coaching, because you have a lot to offer on, on that front as well. You, you, you kind of hinted at that you've been to Croatia multiple times or Europe multiple times to study. Um, I first found your work at St. Mary's, um, via some, some videos of your team playing absolutely brilliant soccer and you were actually yeah. um, Thank you. you were actually a role model for for me and for my girls team that I was coaching at the time and I was showing them like hey like here's a college team the next level up from you that is playing the same way that we want to play here at the high school like here's who we need to emulate and and these are you know girls that are one two three years older than you and so you became yeah. you became an example that we frequently referenced at the at the high school that I was coaching at so it's it's not you know it's not that you're you know, just, uh, just a guy that's out here, you know, talking about issues. It's like you have proven yourself on the field as well. And I think that's very important for, for people to understand. And I, I would love to get you back on the podcast to talk, to talk more about your experiences on the sideline as well. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. You know, and it's one of those things. And when you get in positions like St. Mary's and even nationals here, and it's like, you just never know who's, who's watching. Right. So, you, you know, you, you just do what you can to have yourself sleep at night well. And, uh, you know, I look back at those St. Mary's days and I mean, we're playing Julie Johnson and Ashley Hatch and Wynn Williams. And, you know, and I'm looking at my, my center back, like, stop skipping over our talented number six, kick it to her. <laughs> you know, and let's play. <laughs> like, look, you put it in the air. Julie Johnson's going to win it and shove it back down our throat, you know, and, and, you know, being on the road at, at, you know, number eight BYU and, and demanding them to play out, you know, and, and it's what I want to do. Do I fall on my sword and I probably should have gone longer more often to win because I'm in a position of winning in college? Yeah, but you know what? When, when St. Mary's didn't renew my contract, I slept at night perfectly fine. Now it made me reevaluate. Do I need to accelerate some ways I wanted to coach it? Definitely. Um, and I've been able to use that later in life, but I slept perfectly fine at night. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good it's a good way to put it, and and I think that's that's important for coaches to understand too. That, and I think it, is it Cruyff that said like live and die by your own ideas or or, or something yep. something along those lines. It's like when yeah. when when you go on the when when you go on the field and your and your team plays a certain way that you know that you've been you've been working on uh, during training and and you've been trying to 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 develop a certain style or an identity, and if it doesn't work out. 
like it doesn't work out and that and that sucks but at least yeah you you can sleep well at night knowing that you know it was how you how you wanted to play or how how you wanted things to go and and that in itself provides just a slight bit of comfort um when yeah well and and i look at the same i look at the st mary's thing and you know i definitely question myself i'm like maybe i'm just not good enough for this level you know with with my ideas they're they're not good enough and you know after i took four months to think about it i'm like I'm good enough. I just didn't evolve enough to, for my kids to perform in that environment mm-hmm. the way I'd like them to. And mm-hmm. I was fixed in how I wanted them to instead of evolving to be better. And now I look at things, I'm like, hey, you know, it, it's, not a, it's not a stab in the heart if my team puts the ball over the top every once in a while, as long as they did it on purpose, w- with a good reason, and a quality strike for uh, anticipated quality run. That's soccer. You take what's given to you. Where before I was like, ah, you have to do it this way. But know what it took me? Going to Croatia, going to Spain, going to England, go to going to Holland and seeing Ajax dump four balls into the corner with their U15s. I'm like, oh, oh, you're allowed to do that, <laughs> you know? And it, but you're like, oh, but their nine and ten were already running, and their seven had checked back, you know. So it created the space for it. So it was on purpose. You're like, oh, okay, you know. So evolving and it goes back, educating educating and and growth mindset you know so yeah i love it obviously i can talk all day (laughs) (laughs) well let's uh let's get let's get another let's get another conversation scheduled when when we hang up i'll I'll text you and and see if we can get something for maybe next month or or something oh you're gonna be in season but um yeah but it's i i have time (laughs) okay okay cool well yeah let's let's get something else scheduled and, and let's uh Let's talk about your your experiences, you know, traveling over to Europe and and things like that. Because if I if if I'm not mistaken, I think our first conversation is now gone in, into the abyss. It was like on some ancient website that I had back in the day, yeah. and, and that's no longer active. Yep. So we need to we need to. <laughs> I tried to find it. Yeah, I was like, I don't even know where it is. <laughs> I, I I don't even know if I own the computer that I recorded it on anymore. It's it, it could be gone forever. Um, but uh, but yeah, let's 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 revisit some of that stuff because I think people will be interested in that conversation as well. Yeah, definitely. I th- I think one of my unique things is usually you hear about that stuff more on the guys' side. So yeah. because on the girls' side we have more of the better talent and structures, you know. So for someone to say like, yeah, I went to Dinamo Zagreb to help my girls team be better, <laughs> like. Most people don't say that. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know, true. <laughs> you know I, I was at Ajax, and you know, so I can bring it back to my U15 girls team. You know, not to do exactly what they do, but to take ideas away from them. You know, and like one of my best trips was, I think it was last year now, 2017. I went to Bilbao and Real Sociedad and Anticapo, which is a small club that feeds into a lot of those guys. So it was, I came back, and next you know, I had a couple more exercises, a couple more thoughts also a couple more concepts and like it's it, it almost sucks when your girls are like you can tell the difference you're like god why don't i do this more often you know like you can tell like they they can tell you you come back a little more refreshed a little more wide-eyed you know with, with ideas every time you do it and and you know i think one of the mistakes people make is they come back and they're like well barca played 12v2 rondo in the center circle so i will and we'll get better and you're like, well, that might not translate for your group. Like, yeah, no context. Your group might be 6v1 in a square. You know, it might be for four minutes. You might not need to water your field. 
<laughs> so it's faster. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, well, I read a book. That's why, to be honest, and the funny part is, I've limited myself on actually looking at exercises. Like when I go to the convention, and I go every year now, I hardly ever go see the the actual training. And I'm like, I can find that on a web. Like I go listen to the lectures and the methodology talks and all of that stuff. Like I used to be the guy who like printed off every PDF and Twitter exercises and whatever. I look at them every once in a while now, but like, like that's the easy information to get to. I actually think it's lazy when people are like, Oh, I saw this drill and I did it. <laughs> you know, so like, oh, yeah. yeah, but what was the context? Why are you doing it? Does it even make sense that you saw this drill at two o'clock on a Tuesday and at 4.30 you did it with your team? Like, <laughs> what is that saying about your long-term, I just did a two-page paper on it, long-term development plan, you know? <laughs> and what was it say, what, you know, with your concept? It's great that you're willing to take information, but if you take information without context, you know, that's, it's just sloppy. <laughs> yeah. No, 100%. And, and I had a conversation with a, with a sports, oh gosh, I'm going to butcher this, a sports psychologist, I think is, is yep. a, a, a performance coach. I don't know what to, what to yep. call him. I need to, I need to figure that out before I release this episode. Um, but uh, we, we were talking about education and what you mentioned too, about going to the, to the convention and seeking out education. Um, you don't necessarily need to like use use all those things that you see or that you learn or that you come across and, and, you know, completely flip your methodology or your training exercises on, on, on their head. Right. But if you can take like yep. one or two things from those and, and learn from that or use that educational experience as like a, a moment to like re-energize or, or kind of like kickstart yourself again to go back and do better work with your team. Well, that's, that's a very, very, very good byproduct of, of, you know, those NSEA conventions or the trips to Europe or things like that. It's like that energy yep. that, that, that then is created at the end of that trip or the end of that experience that then feeds in or fuels you into your team experience. And that's why continuing to educate yourself, you know, maybe every three months or every six months, or every year, whatever your schedule is, can be a very, very good and useful tool because then it you know, it gives you that burst of energy or excitement or, um, you know, just that, that feeling of newness again. And I Definitely. think that's a, that's a really good byproduct of, of, you know, educational experiences. Well, that's why it always cracks me up when people are like, dude, you went to Dinamo? Like, how'd you do that? I was like, I bought a plane ticket. <laughs> My buddy was working there. So I, I was able to sleep on his couch and I just showed up and watched training. Well, how'd you get in? I walked through the door. <laughs> like, you know, oh, how'd you watch training at Athletico Bilbao? I showed up, I looked at the training schedule, and I stood at the fence and watched. Like, they make it sound like now there's a couple places, Barca closes doors sometimes, and places like, but most places, you can just, as long as you're not a jerk and like standing on their field and, you know, filming and whatever, like, you can walk up almost anywhere and just watch. But people think, like, well, you know, I want to go to Manchester United or Ajax. I'm like, yeah, go to Housen in Holland, you know, where their kids show up late to practice. That's probably closer <laughs> to what you actually do. You know, like, because there are those. Like, you don't have the best players in Holland. So it's not going to fully formulate, you know, to you. But then I think it's hilarious. So like, oh, Kai, you've had, you know, all these doors. You have friends in Europe. You went. I go, yeah, but when I was out St. Mary's, I would go home back to L.A. 
and then drive down to SoCal Blues and watch Tad Bobak train his U14 team <laughs> for free. Like, it didn't cost me anything. I just walked up and was like, Tad, do you mind if I sit over here and watch? Just watch. And, sure, okay. Cool. But people think, like, I have to go to Europe. Like, you can go see Gary or, like, go see, go to Fullerton and watch, um, what's his name, train the Fullerton team. Uh, Dan, like, go to Dominguez Hills and watch a training. You know what I mean? Like, go to the club four feet away from you and and go watch a training. Like, it cracks me up. I had to go at one of our our uh, club coaches uh, a couple of weeks ago. He's, you know, he's 23, and part of, you know, our responsibility is, teaching them how to do it. But he's like, yeah, I just wish I could, you know, watch more trainings and stuff like that and, and do stuff. I'm like, cool. So when your training ended at six, what did you do? Uh, you know, I just went home. I go, no, no, you walked past my training, walked past G, our director, who just won the national championship with the O4s and USYS. And you walked by both trainings to go home. <laughs> and you just sat for 30 minutes. If you just said twice a week, I'm going to stay for 30 minutes, you're going to get better quicker. <laughs> and, and that's free. And literally, you're on field two, I'm on field one, and the parking lot's on the other side of one. You have to walk past me every time. You have to walk past G every time for a free, like, just pick up a drill. Oh, that's a cool exercise. Like, and then you look at, we have a guy in our club, Henry. Older guy, 50-something. Been doing it forever. Henry came over yesterday because I just, like, I was, like, assistant coach in the spring. Now, two days ago, like, now they're my team type thing. So, like, my 0203 DA team just started this week. And he came over, like, 20 minutes into the session. Um, and he was like, I go, what's up? What do you need? He's like, oh, I just saw something I liked. So, I just came over for five minutes to watch. <laughs> and he had like an assistant coach at his training. So he let his assistant coach like do something with his team. And he just walked over and he's like, I, wait, why do you, why do you have them over there? And I was like, Oh, for this, this cool. And he watched for five minutes and went, went back to his session. And I'm like, if a 55 year old man who's coaching second team, who's helped with first team can do that. <laughs> why can't the 23 year old who has nothing to do later in his day? <laughs> Stopped for 20 minutes on their way out or show up early to their training and watch the training before. Why does it always have to be, well, I'm saving up money to go on Barca train? You can go on Barca train on YouTube somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> no, for real. So, uh, for, for real. And and I think people really underestimate the the value in in watching just their 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 nearest by uh, coach work, whether, whether that coach yeah. is a good coach or a bad coach, you're going to learn something from watching that. And, and I am a, a big proponent. I've, I've talked about that with, I don't know how many people on the podcast, like that, that experience of going and watching other people work can be the most valuable educational tool that you have in your, in your toolkit. So. Dude, I saw, and it was on accident. I was like having a meeting with a parent and I had a corner of my eye like our U sevens or whatever we're training. And I saw our coach do like some fun dribbling exercise for warm up. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to do it that goofy because my kids aren't seven, but there's, I can tweak one thing in this and do this for five minutes 
and get something out of my team. And I did it that night. I changed my warm up that night because it worked. I thought about it and it worked. And then I went out and did it with them. And kids had a little more energy to start training after it, you know. And I was like, oh, cool. And I went and told her, hey, thanks. Like, I, I kind of like what you did with, with your sevens. And she goes, what? what do you mean? I was like, oh, you know, you had them dribble and then they picked it up. Uh, they juggled it up to themselves and then, or scooped it up to themselves. And then they threw it up in the air. Everyone threw it up when she said go. And then everyone had to go, like, die collect another ball out of the air and keep dribbling. Oh, that's kind of cool. And I was like, that's cool. And she did it more of like a fun, just get them going. I was like, no, that's great. Because <laughs> I do, like, all right, let's dribble, leave your ball, go find the open ball, and just dribble, like, just as a light warm up. And then I was like, hold on. My kids can. I'll tell them to stop juggle. Then they have to juggle. Then I get say go, and now the juggle has to be high, and then they have to go find a free ball in the air, pick it up, and collect the space. I was like, brilliant! I even told my team, got it from our U seven coach. <laughs> 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 like, but people think like, well, because I don't like the whole session, I'm not going to take anything from it. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even need to like the whole exercise. You know, I got like one thing in the exercise and take from that, yeah. you know, and, and then just curb it. Like I have two DA teams and they're complete opposites, right? We're not recording, are we? Yeah, we are. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. That's fine. <laughs> well, uh, so like the older DA team, the O one, they won three straight USYS national championships. And then this year lost in the DA final. The O two O threes won the O two national championship for USYS two years ago, and then uh, the 03s were in the final. Like, you know, decent players. And, but the 0203s and the 01s are two totally different teams. Like, the 01s command the field, you know, have a lot of confidence, two national pool players. 0203s are, you know, hardworking, <laughs> have to grind out things a little bit more. And so, like, just even the approach to them – like I have to change if I do the same exact exercises, I have to change field sizes. I have to change aims for each exercise, like because their their development pathway is at a different point. They can be similar, but I still have to change a lot from them, and they're one year apart, coached by the same person. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and what their capacity is at the current moment is they're at different levels. You know, so it, but. They can all, we both teams did that U7 drill exercise and they just did them differently. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it, it's just, it's, it's that stuff to me where I look back and I'm like, why didn't someone tell me all this stuff when I was 20? Like, <laughs> I, I would go to a training and be like, all right, I didn't write down the whole training. I didn't like the whole, everything. So I'm not taking anything from this. You know what I mean? Like, I would just do stuff like that. And oh, it kills me now that I'm like, like and it's funny because I'm very technically based now, and you know how do we how do we do this? How do we do that? Dude, I was like the fast black guy. I had no touch. Like, <laughs> and now I'm like now I'm like anytime someone like doesn't put the ball exactly where they want to put it, I like snap. <laughs> like, and and they just all assume because I'm you know technically good enough to train with a U17 kid. Um, they they all assume like I was just like technical holding man. I was like, no, God no. Like if you played it to my feet, that was your bad. 
like slipped that ball in behind. I just ran and kicked it as hard as I could at the goal. Until I got the Sonoma where Marcus like yelled at me like, why were you running over there? I'm like, I don't know. I just knew I was going to get there before him. <laughs> so, so that's why, that's why I went. And, you know, Marcus was like, yeah. no, no, there's got to be a reason. I was like, well, yeah, because I was going to run past him. No, no. But why? I was like, what do you mean why? <laughs> you know, and it, it's just crazy now that like people – would think like, oh, you know, you were like that smart KG holding mid. No, no, not even close. I played holding <laughs> mid a little. I just covered ground. I chewed up space. <laughs> oh, it's so classic. I think it's oh. I think it's actually hilarious that you asked, are we still recording? Because that's gonna like that's gonna set the tone for when people are listening to this and they're gonna be like, oh wow, like this guy was just he thought they were just off the record and he was just he was just going for it. And and yeah. that's just I mean, this is just how you are, man. And that's I'm I'm super stoked that we're <laughs> that that you actually said that that's pretty funny <laughs> well and i always go back to as long as i don't cuss someone out as long as i don't <laughs> em- embarrass an individual person or disrespect the individual person's being what am i doing wrong i'm telling yeah, my nothing. truth <laughs> you know <laughs> where like i said five ten years ago <laughs> some other words might be used Names might have been called out directly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and then you get in trouble. <laughs> no, you, you yeah. learn you learn by being educated and being married. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. See, I'm, I'm, I'm missing that aspect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, all right, man. Well, I'm gonna. I'm actually. I'm gonna hit stop recording now. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. And a big thank you to my guest, Kai Edwards, for coming on the show and for sharing his stories and his experiences in the American soccer landscape. If you would like to find more episodes of the 343 Podcast or to help to support and fund this podcast, you can find more information on 343coaching.com. And specifically, that is where you can find all of the benefits of becoming a 343 Coaching Education Program member because the membership is actually what helps to uh, keep this podcast going and going and going like the Energizer Bunny. Uh, okay. We're not sponsored by Energizer though. Um, here is Tom Beyer to talk a little bit about his experience with the online programs that we offer. And I can tell you after someone who's done a lot of coaches education, both as a student as an instructor, that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course. Because the, the one thing that I like about what they're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense. And it goes right directly to the heart of, of, of the game on, on, on how, to, how to develop um, not just, you know, individual players, but develop teams as well. Once again, you can find all of the information about becoming a 343 Coaching Education member by visiting 343coaching.com. That's the number 343coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right. Uh, we will catch you guys next time here on the 343 Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.